Shalom and welcome to The Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. To introduce the modern issue that we will be talking about today, I want to share with you a story. Once there was a fine, pious, and extremely poor Jew who every day would pray with tears and deep begging of God that he win the lottery. The hearts of the angels melted every day from this man's prayers. Finally, one day, they could take it no more, and they turned to God and asked, God, why do you not grant this man his prayers? To which God answered, I would, if only he stopped nudging. For those who are not familiar with the Jewish or Yiddish terminology nudging, here is the definition from wordsmith.com. From Yiddish nudgin, to pester, bore, from Polish nudzik, the word developed a variant spelling nudge after the influence of the English word nudge. A cousin of this word is nudnik, a boring pest. What is the metaphorical story telling us? What does it, it contain for us to understand why our prayers aren't being answered? Why do we need to, what do we need to change about the way we pray in order to have them answered? This lecture is going to explore precisely the answer to these questions based upon a mystical teaching of the Rebbe delivered on this Shabbat in 1964. This week we read two Torah portions, that of Acharei and that of Kiddoshim. The latter begins with the commandment of Speak to the entire congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Let us first understand the practical commandment. What is it that we are told to do? The word kadosh, holy, is first and foremost to mean godly. When we refer to someone, something, or some place as holy, we are referring to it as being godly. When Jacob woke up from his dream and sensed that the place where he slept was holy, he was referring to the revelation of God's presence being at, that, at this place. So too, when we speak of a person being holy, we are primarily speaking of a man who has nullified his mind, heart, thoughts, speech, and action so that they be transparent and functioning only by the paradigm, feelings, and behaviors commanded by God through God's Torah or through divine inspiration. Now, divine inspiration never is in conflict with God's Torah. Also, the definition of holy is translated as to be separated. That which we dedicate of our produce to be holy is what we separate from our produce to be given to the Kohen to be eaten only in purity. So too, when we sanctify a talent or time of day to study Torah, pray, or do God good deeds, we are separating a part of us from belonging to our egocentric self and dedicating it to God. Thus, the first level of the practical fulfillment of the commandment, you shall be holy, is... Separate yourselves from sexual immorality and from sin. That's how Rashi defines the practicality of this commandment. The next level is that we separate ourselves from that which is permissible. The Talmud defines the commandment as sanctify yourself from that which is permissible. Hasidim defined this in the name of Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, known as the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad. What is forbidden is forbidden, and what is permissible isn't necessary. The depth of this takes us to the next level, in which the focus is abstinence of the egocentric and engagement with the theocentric. Allow me to explain. 
When one eats meat, for example, one of two things are happening. Either the animal is being elevated to become part of the human, or the human is being brought down into being part of the animal. What decides which of the two happens is solely the intention and emotional experience of the human eating the meat. Thus we are told of a story in which the Balshantov asked his students to form a spiritual meditative circle, which was one of the formats through which the Balshantov would open up the minds of his students to see beyond the vision capacity of the naked eye. What they saw was a cow sitting at a table, dressed up in fine Shabbat clothing. When the students inquired as to what they just saw, the Balshantov explained that they saw the spiritual dimension of the man sitting at the table eating his meal. When a person makes himself holy, separating his pleasure from the experience of his taste buds and focuses his mind on, as the verse says, for not upon bread alone does man live, but upon the word of God within the bread, then the food is being elevated into the realm, experience, and divine service of man. However, when the person descends into the passion and pleasure being played upon his taste buds by the meat of the animal, then the person is being brought down into the realm and existence of the animal. Thus we are commanded, sanctify, separate yourself in that which is permissible to you. Now we can move forward into the lecture and see some of the mystical powers that lay hidden in the verse of the commandment, speak to the entire congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Before we delve into the details of this commandment, let us understand the general mystical teaching upon the verse. According to Hasidus, every commandment in the Torah is to be read as a commandment and as a promise. When the Torah commands us, and you shall love God your God, we are taught that A, we are commanded, we are being commanded to strenuously concentrate and meditate upon God, God's goodness and God being our life force to the point where the intellectual understanding of the mind will overflow, becoming a tangible emotion of gratitude and love to the heart. B. Together with this, we are being given a promise that we will experience a love for God. Thus, the Torah is not just giving us a commandment for a human finite action, but is also giving us the gift of an infinite promise of God. And so it is as well with the commandment of you shall be holy, that we are not just being commanded upon a finite human effort in becoming holy, rather we are also being given an infinite promise of God that we will become holy. The question now becomes, A. How holy is holy? B. How deeply will we experience being holy? See how long can we hold on to the experience of being holy? Let us explore this. The, to answer the question of how holy is holy, our sages point out that the verse accounts for three holinesses. Let us see the three times that the verse accounts holiness and what each holiness refers to. First, let's go over the verse. Speak to the entire congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So A, the first time that the verse implies a holiness is in the words, The entire congregation of the children of Israel. For the verse in Exodus, when God brought the nation to be gods at Mount Sinai, the verse states, And you shall be to me a kingdom of princes and a holy nation. Thus, the first holiness of the commandment is telling us to simply be ourselves, 
to be more specific, it is not the commandment of using our God-given talents and capacity to obtain holiness. Rather, it is God commanding us to be who God already made us as, holy. The second holiness of which the verse is commanding us is, you shall be holy, which is God commanding us to use our God-given potential to achieve a greater and higher holiness than that which God has already made us to be. C. The third and final holiness of which the verse commands us is, For I am holy. Let us understand the third holiness. It actually seems as a reason as to why we must experience our God-given holiness and obtain an even greater holiness and not commanding and not a commandment to us. Why do we have to be holy? For because I, God, am holy. Even more than this, the question as to how can we count the for I am holy as a commandment for us to achieve this third level of holiness gets bigger. Our sages extrapolate precisely from these words of the verse, for I am holy, that, and I quote to you the teaching, you may think it possible to be as holy as me, God. Thus we are taught to say, for I am holy, my holiness is above your holiness. Thus, our sages clearly define holiness number three of the verse as a holiness that is exclusive to God and off-limits to us. How can we count this as a third commandment of being holy? Jewish mysticism, however, has a different twist to this. How can the fact that God is holy be a reason for us to be holy? Yes, God is holy because God is God. And I am a finite human, genetically programmed as an egocentric driven being. Thus the mere fact that God is telling me that His holiness is a reason for us to be holy is Kabbalah's proof that we are connected to this holiness as well. Otherwise, God's holiness is disconnected from me and cannot be the reason or empowerment for me to be holy. To better understand this, let us refer to a verse in Isaiah that we say every day in our daily prayers. Kadosh, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Here once again we see three different holinesses as we say the word holy three times. There is an interesting teaching upon this verse that uses a metaphor. I quote it for you. A metaphor of the subjects of a country who made three crowns for their king. What did the king do? He placed one on his head and two on the heads of his sons. So too it is with the three holinesses that the Holy One, blessed be He, is sanctified with. God places one on His head and two He places upon the heads of His sons. Thus the holiness of A, the holy congregation of the children of Israel, and of B, you shall be holy, God placed upon our heads while the holiness of C, for I am holy, God placed upon His own head. However, here too we see that even the third holiness of, for I am holy, which God placed upon His head, is drawn from and to the children of Israel. Hmm, how so? Our sages explain that the subjects of this country in the metaphor refer to the angels, which are celestial beings and thus are of God's country, heaven. The way they make these three crowns are through their giving praise to God, namely the praise of the verse we quoted, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. When you look into this chapter of Isaiah, you will see that Isaiah is speaking of a vision that appeared to him in which, I'm quoting the verses now of the beginning of this chapter, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, 
seraphim, a type of fiery angels, stood above for him. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Thus, these three crowns of holiness are being made by the angels and seemingly have nothing to do with the children of Israel other than the two that God placed upon our heads. If so, why are we extrapolating from this verse, verse as well that even the crown of holiness placed upon only upon God's head is connected to us? The answer lie hidden in the teaching of our sages in the Talmud. Here's a quote. Ministering angels cannot say their song until it is said by the children of Israel here below first. Angels are not creatures with freedom of choice, and thus the preciousness and capacity of their songs to God is dependent upon our precious prayers, which we humbly and freely choose to shower upon God. Hmm. Thus, in essence, all these three crowns of holiness of God made by the angels are deeply connected with us. For in essence, it is us who initiate the making of these three crowns of holiness, including the crown of, for I am holy, placed upon God's head. Thus we now have the answer of how holy is holy, of which we are commanded to work on achieving, and of which God promises us that we will experience it is as high as the holiness of, for I, God, am holy. Question 2. Let us now move forward to question number 2, the question of time. How long can we hold on to this holiness? Now that we understand that we are speaking not only of our holiness, but of God's holiness as well, we can understand the answer of our sages to the question of time. The verse states in Psalms, and you are exalted forever. Our sages connect this verse to our verse, commanding us to be holy, and they explain. Here's a quote of the Medris of our sages. And you are exalted. Exaltedness you accustom in your world. You gave eternal priesthood to Aaron. You gave eternal kingship to David. You gave eternal holiness to Israel, as the verse states, you shall be holy. Thus, now that we understand that the verse is not just a commandment of human effort, but a promise from God, and we now know that the holiness of which we are speaking of includes the holiness of, for I, God, am holy, which is the essence holiness of, for I, God, did not change. We now understand that the holiness of this promise is an eternal, unchangeable holiness, a holiness first earned by our effort and then elevated to being promised by God. The question now becomes, how deep does this holiness penetrate us? Now that we know how high and infinite of a holiness we are speaking of, it, is it to be just an aura shining around us? Or is it a holiness that is to permeate our finite minds, our finite hearts, and our expressions of thought, speech, and actions? Question 3. How do deep does this holiness go? Let us return and define the three holinesses, first defining them in Kabbalistic terms and then in practical terms. The first holiness of the children of Israel is the holiness of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which they placed within us. The first time that we, got, that we find God speaking, not only of an individual, but of a lineage, is by Abraham. Immediately after God promised Abraham a son, the verse says, 
And I quote the verse, For I have known him because he commands his sons and his household after him, that they should keep the way of the Lord to perform righteousness and justice. Previously, we find the Torah speaking of Noah as a righteous man who found favor in God's eyes. However, there is no mention of God choosing Noah and his offspring as a lineage. It is Abraham who affected that his lineage of Isaac, Jacob, and the children of Jacob would all have their souls come from the emanations of holiness, from the most pious among us to the most lowly and crass among us. Additionally, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are called fathers, for they have inherited for their children their primary attributes. Abraham was loved from the holy emotion emanation of kindness. Isaac was awe from the holy emotion emanation of strictness, strength. And Jacob was compassion from the holy emotion emanation of splendor. These three holy primary emotion emanations, kindness, strength, and splendor, love, awe, and compassion, are what our forefathers inherited into the souls of each and every one of their offspring known as the children of Israel. This is the first holiness of the verse, defined in the words, all the congregation of the children of Israel. Now you may have noticed that I kept on calling these emanations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the title emotion emanations. There are, there are the heads, which are the intellect emanations of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and there are the lower seven emotion emanations. In comparison to the intellect emanations, the emotion emanations are small, and therefore the term for the emotion emanations in Kabbalah is Zah, which stands for Zeir Anpin, small faces. Zah itself is the innate holiness of the children of Israel, which we inherited from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then there is the second level of holiness, which is what the verse is commanding us to obtain with the words, and you shall be holy. This refers to the crown of splendor, the infinite encompassing light, the crown upon Zah, the small faces. This holiness of the infinite encompassing light of the crown of splendor we do not innately have, and we must acquire it through our service of separate yourself from sin, sanctify yourself with that which is permissible through abstinence, and sanctify yourself with that which is permissible through using it all only for the service of God. Then there is the third holiness of, For I, God, am holy which is the holiness of the verses command I'm sorry which is the holiness of the supernal crown of Erech Ampin long faces because of its great infinite light this is the crown of holiness that God places on his own head and nevertheless this eternal crown of holiness as well is drawn upon the heads of the king's children the children of Israel now that we understand the Kabbalistic terms of the three holinesses of the verses, commandments, and promise upon the children of Israel as they manifest themselves in the holy emanations and higher, let us discuss how deep they travel into the faculties of the children of Israel. Once again, let us return to the verse and bring forth the secret behind its, behind its words. Congregation. This refers to the tenth emanation of kingship. The minimum amount of people in a congregation called a minion is 10. Thus, this is the 10th emanation, which is the absorbent of all the 10 emanations, the minion. Practically, this refers to the capacity of thought, speech, and action. Israel, 
who is the third and primary of the forefathers, refers to all the forefathers, which, as explained before, are the primary emotion emanations of love, awe, and kindness. Children of Israel refer to the offshoots of the primary emotion emanations, which are endurance, gratitude, and commitment. You shall be holy is the encompassing crown of splendor, which infinitely empowers the permeating faculties of our emotions. Often we refer to this as the faculty of will. The power of will. That's the crown of splendor. For I am holy is the supernal crown of the great long faces. Now we can understand the closing phrase of the verse in Isaiah, that even though we are talking of the three levels of abstract encompassing holiness holy 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 is the lord of hosts nevertheless isaiah goes on to say the whole earth is full of his glory for this holiness descends into all of a jew's faculties and into his thoughts speech and actions to the extent that even that which is mundane and permissible is sanctified thus what we see here is, A, we are speaking of the highest holiness of, for I, God, am holy. B, because we are speaking of God's holiness of, and I, God, have not changed, therefore the holiness given to the children of Israel is eternal, unchangeable. And C, this holiness descends and permeates all of the faculties and expressions of the Jew until the whole world is filled with his glory. In closing, let us now return to our opening issue of why our prayers go quite often unanswered. And the reason we gave at the opening of the class is because we aren't praying to God, but rather we are nudging God. And God says, I would give you what you want if only you would stop nudging. What does this mean? This entire le lecture is defining for us that we are promised by God we will be holy and we were given the gift of the ultimate eternal holiness of God. Nevertheless, let us be honest to ourselves. How many of us pray as if we have to convince God and to change God's mind that God should give us health, wealth, happiness, and goodness? Be truly honest now and see if you believe that prayers about getting God to agree to give you what you want. The mere thought that the reason that we don't have what we want is because God doesn't want to give it to us and that we have to pray God into wanting to give it to us is being a nudnik who is nudging God in every prayer that we make. More so, the message that we are sending that God doesn't want to give it to me and I am here to convince God to change his mind already has us facing a closed door with the challenge of if we can pick God's lock. Thus the prayer begins with an answer, no, and the onus lies upon us to change this answer. This is why so many of our prayers go unanswered. Not because God answered us no, but because we set the scene that we are innately not deserving only of, we I'm sorry we are innately deserving only of the answer no from God and we are now embarking upon us changing God's preset mind now please reread re-listen and meditate upon this lecture of who we are to God 
whether it be because of our being the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or it being because God has commanded us and with this promised us that we are to be holy and that we are to receive God's eternal gift of ultimate holiness. Now, come back as this child of God, eternally, unconditionally loved by God, and pray to God for your needs and for your heart's desires. New, let's ask a question. If we are God's unconditional, eternal love child of God, right? Then why do we have to pray at all in order to receive our needs? I want to suggest that the commandment of prayer is precisely the commandment part of all of the congregation of the children of Israel, you shall be holy for I am holy. What I mean with this is, that prayer is not at all about convincing God to give us anything. Rather, it is all about our letting go of our egocentric, self-reliance paradigm of who we are so that we can open ourselves up for who God promised us that we are, who we are. Once we let go of self-reliance identity and open ourselves up to the unearned grace of who God promised, God's promise us of who we are, then having our prayers answered is the natural flow of God's love to us. In short, our prayer needs to be about our getting our egocentric self out of God's way. And our prayer needs to be about humbly accepting the grace that God freely bestows upon us. Such prayers get answered. So, the next time when during pre-prayer or during prayer that the thought of who am I to deserve receiving what I am praying for enters your mind, immediately, humbly, firmly, and in a matter-of-fact fashion, answer to yourself, I am the child of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am promised by God that I am the holiness of, for I, God, am holy. Thus, who am I to get in God's way and not have my prayers answered. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here at the Jewish Mind is where modernity meets Judaism.